You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Well, hello and welcome to Track FM's local watering hole coming at you from a planet with no name. We're going to be talking about some people with, well, barely any names, um, no names that we know of. Uh, there's actually a bunch of people we don't actually know their name. So, uh, but this is a great CD bar. I love it. Uh, and Christy, you just spilled my drink. Oh no, what are you going to do to me? Um, I don't know. Do I pull you through the door and cut you in half or do I just shoot you? Mm, good, good. I can't. I don't know. I'll have to think about it. But um, I figured we should welcome our special guest who yep. actually is married to the one and only Christy Morris. And his name is Michael Morris. And he is straight from the Mando cast. I'm actually surprised that I'm allowed to be on at the same time as Christy. I thought there was some sort of contractual thing prohibiting what? it. <laughs> yeah, there was a restraining order um, in the 602 Club, but, you know, we lifted it for, you know, just a just a special evening, so... I allowed it. It's it's these lawless times is what it is. Yep. It really is. It is these lawless times, you know. <laughs> these are dark times. Um, but before we get into our show, we're going to be talking about the first two episodes of Mandalorian. Now, we had wanted the show to come out, but we, well, we ran into a mud horn and he ruined our recording... Uh, by stomping on it in the mud, and so we're recording again. We know this is coming out when you're going to be watching the third episode, but you can listen to us talk about the first two episodes. Uh, and then you can catch up the, with the Mando cast with Michael, and he'll talk about the third episode for you. So there you go. It's 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 just, we're just spreading the love. And so if you want to spread the love of the 602 Club, make sure you check us out wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you're over on Apple Podcasts. Give us a star rating review Help the show grow. You can find us on Twitter at TrackFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrackFM. You can find our listeners-only discussion group there on Facebook. It's called the Babel Conference. Now, to get there, you can type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or if you're on our website at Trek.FM, any of those show pages, there's a button that says Discussion, and that will let you in. And Christy and I really like getting emails from people, so go to Trek.FM slash contact to choose a show choose the 602 club and send christy and i an email we would love to hear your thoughts on the mandalorian and huge thank you we have some associate producers here through patreon ken trip davis grayson wine millette daniel noah we really uh, appreciate them supporting the show each and every week um, because they support us through patreon they give us some money every month, and it helps us make these podcasts each and every month. It's a very expensive thing to put all the podcasts here on Track FM out to you. And so you can be part of the team and make sure that happens. Go to patreon.com slash FM and be part of that team. we got some great contribution levels, but you know what? Honestly, every little bit a month helps. So again, that's patreon.com slash FM. Okay, so this is kind of fun because... Both of you were at Celebration with me this last year, and we got to go to the Mandalorian panel, which was awesome. Uh, and so I kind of wanted to 
pick your brains a little bit as to what you were kind of thinking of with this show before we're coming into it because you know this is going to be something completely new for star wars we'd never have light action tv other than the holiday special and nobody counts that but john favreau so what were you guys kind of thinking about coming into this show maybe even especially after we saw what we saw at celebration i was i was hoping for some uh you know vr singing and you know, some stormtroopers being thrown off a. Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was I was thinking about the holiday special still. <laughs> My bad. It's uh, hard not to think about it if you've seen it. That's the problem. It <laughs> not in a good you. way. It haunts you, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, you know, the the thing is, I I wasn't sure what to expect. I I, I love Favreau. I, I think he's he's great, and I think he's somebody who. You know, uh, most people know this, but but anyone who might not, that he went to bat for Robert Downey Jr. He was for in the first Iron Man movie. He had worked um, on Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with him, and I, I love as much as I've always been a Marvel fan. I've not ever really been huge into Iron Man. He was always like, okay, you know, I like him, whatever. War Machine was always the cool one, uh, but when when he was like, no, it needs to be Robert Downey Jr., I was like. Yes, because I had I had just recently watched Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and and I was like that's yeah that's actually a really good pull. He is Iron Man. So, I think with somebody who who loves something and has a you know, has a a really good idea of how it should be done and then executes that, that's what we need in Star Wars. And so far, I I I uh, you know, I would say that uh, I'm, I'm not exactly bearing the lead, but I think considering the fact that I do a podcast on it, you probably know that I've really been enjoying it. You didn't do a podcast on something you don't enjoy? No. Why would I do that? <laughs> that's just time you'll never get back. Yeah, It's very true. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a good point because that's kind of where I came into it as well. As soon as, as, soon as I heard about John Favreau, um, working on it with Dave Filoni. And I mean, I already loved everything Dave Filoni's ever done. So knowing that two people who I've loved all of their work are then going to partner together and that they've brought in George back to help them with some of it, it just really set it up to me for it to be a great show. And I love at that panel, like you were mentioning, Matt, that we got this behind the scenes footage, uh, a lot of which was never shared outside of that panel at John Favreau's request under penalty of stealing your phone and breaking it. Probably <laughs> he was very, very strong about that it. request came later, by the way, I thought he said it before. No, he definitely did not. He said it during, no, he just said it after he goes, Oh, by the way, you guys aren't supposed Don't to share that. This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He forgot, which was funny because I was sitting next to uh, a mutual friend who, who I will not name just to keep his name clear. Uh, mm -hmm. But he was recording because they had not said that. Mm -hmm. And so then, of course, Favreau comes on and is like, oh, 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 and by the way, um, please please don't record. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I definitely thought it was before. He should have said it sooner. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I was really excited for this, especially, though, about the underworld parts of the show, because I actually cosplay as Ara Singh. I love bounty hunters and that whole, like, having to scavenge and... Um, do all these like 
under the table dealings and stuff. So when I knew it was going to be that kind of show, I was excited. Yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting because, and you both know too, like George had wanted to do a live action show for a long time. And, you know, he had commissioned them to write like they had a hundred scripts already for the show. And the problem was, is the technology wasn't there for them to do it in a way that he could finance himself. You know, he just didn't have that. I mean, George is rich, but he he's always making this stuff on his own at that point, And he just didn't have the money for what it would cost to do what he wanted to do. And, you know, George is also one who spares no expense in the sense that if he's going to do something, he wants he wants it to look it's absolute best kind of it's so interesting how much he reminds me of Walt Disney too you know Disney is the same way um I was just watching the Imagineering show on uh, Disney plus and and Disney is the exact same way he doesn't really care how much something costs he wants it to be right um mm-hmm. and he'll get the money however he has to get it but he wants it to be right so um I think knowing that and knowing that this had already been in his mind and then having Favreau come on and as well as, like you said, Christy, Filoni. I mean, that's my two favorite Fs right there, Filoni and Favreau. <laughs> I mean, those are the best Fs out there when it comes to Star Wars. Um, and so um, I, I totally give an F, you know, um, because I love these guys. And I think they really, like you said, Michael, they have such a passion for Star Wars. It shows, I think, in everything that they've done. And so, and, you know, like you said, his passion for Iron Man definitely came out in that movie, and it made it what it was. In Iron Man 2, that's a different story, but... Hey, hey, I liked Iron Man 2. I mean, yeah, you I, I will wrong. defend it. Like, I, I get it. it. It's kind of like how, you know, how a lot of people know, uh, which this will come into play a little bit. Uh, I love Attack of the Clones, and, and people are like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, no, Attack what is wrong Clones with is you? Good. Yeah. We're no, I like Attack of the Clones, too. So I'm right there. So, yes, I'm with both of you guys. You know, we, we went to the panel, and I was blown away. I was totally on board. And part of that, I think, too, it comes from people behind the scenes that have earned my trust. You know, any time in any of these um, genres, right, people have to earn your trust. And Filoni, obviously, has already done that with the Clone Wars and Rebels. You know, he spent, you know, 10 years learning under George. He knows what he's doing. Um, And putting him with Favreau gave me so much faith that this would be good. Because I didn't feel like Filoni would put his name on something that he didn't believe in like this. Mm -hmm. And spend so much time with. And so, you know, very, I mean... When we're talking about, you know, coming in to do something completely new, I think that these guys were the right guys for the job. Now, saying that, you know, something that I've kind of heard from different sectors was that some people may feel like this show, have felt like this show is maybe small universe or fan service-ish. And so I wanted to get you know, your guys' opinion on that and and what do you think? Do you feel like this show is really kind of charting a new course or does it just feel like more of the same when it comes to Star Wars? I didn't feel like it was fan service or like a small universe, more of the same kind of thing as much as I just felt like it was inspired by everything that came before it and it had similarities but that it is still charting new territory that it's taking place in a time where there can really be a lot of 
exploring in the storytelling still. Um, and it, I think that it was really great with the references that they make just enough of to people that have been fans for a long time without going over the top to the point where you wouldn't get it unless you've been a fan for 40 years. So uh, that's what I took away from it. I'm of the mindset, why not both? I don't, I, I don't understand how people can feel. I, I mean, I understand there's times there's the turn to the camera and wink moments. And I, I get that. But outside of that, I don't like how people can be like, oh my God, it's fan service. And it's like, I'm sorry, do you go to the, the theater to be miserable? Like what do you not like when, when they're like, oh, hey, you're a fan. I will service you. I Sorry, that sentence came out way worse than I expected. Uh, but, you know, like it's, I, I just don't understand why people get so upset when it, it's, it acknowledges things and, and actually puts things in the film. Uh, sometimes they're called Easter eggs or whatever that fans can actually like and enjoy. I, I don't get it. And, and that doesn't take away from doing things differently. So I love all of the little uh, fan service things that we get so that we can say, Oh, okay, that's cool. Because his, his gun is like the one from the holiday special. Oh, that beast looks like the weird thing from the holiday special. His armor looks like from the holiday special. Seriously, Favreau, it's what is your obsession with the holiday special? Right, like mentioning uh, Day and, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's all of these things, but they all work within the story and they don't, they don't get in the way whatsoever. And at the same time, you do get new things. You are getting a new story. You are getting this whole thing of, you know, when Herzog's character says like, oh, you know, uh, you know, uh, something about a, a period of disarray. And you get this idea that, oh, yeah, things weren't easy after the Empire um, was defeated. That, that things for these five years, things have been tough. There have been lots of lawlessness. And there is a story there that they're trying to tell and they're, they're giving you the story about the Mandalorian and, and then making you ask questions like, well, what the crap is a foundling? You know, they're, they're giving you so much new stuff and also putting the old stuff in there and it's not getting in the way. Yeah. I was funny because I was talking to a friend of mine and we were talking through this idea and, you know, he mentioned, and I thought this was really smart, you know, that fan service would be, if Krull, the Ugnaught, made some reference to the fact that, oh, 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 remember that time I was at, you know, Cloud City and, you know, I, I dismantled that droid and that Wookiee came in. Man, that was a mess. You know, like, that's really bad fan service, right? Like, oh, we're connecting the fact that he was one of the Ugnaughts and, you know, uh, the Empire Strikes Back. Like, that's the kind of stuff that makes people cringe. Whereas, like, what you were mentioning, Michael, like, and, and Christy, all of these things are, you're just using the IP and the story that's come before to inform what's happening now and what's going to happen in the future. And, you know, I think um, talking to the same friend, they made a great point. Like, if you don't want to reference anything that's come before you in in your IP, then you probably should just create a whole new story in a whole new universe and just have it be a new thing. The reason to do these things is to make those connections and continue the story and broaden the universe. If there's absolutely no connection, it doesn't make sense to be in the Star Wars universe in the first place. And so, and like you said, Michael, I think rightly, 
there's so much stuff in here that's completely new. And part of the, what they're doing is they're charting a course where with, with Mandalorians, they were one way in the Clone Wars. They're different in Rebels. And by the time we get here, they're different again. We're continuing to build the Mandalorian culture and their trajectory over this, you know, 50 year span where there's been a lot of changes that have happened. And so, and here we're creating something new. Like we don't know exactly what foundlings are. We don't, we don't know what the Mandalorian purge was where all the Beskar got lost. You know, we don't know all of those things. And so, it, it in many ways it kind of feels like in Star Wars where Obi Wan Kenobi says, um, "I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. We fought in the Clone Wars." You know, like you don't say anything else other than that, but you create a mystery that maybe one day will fill in. And so, like I feel like this is is kind of doing that same thing. And I'm right there with you, Michael. It's like, why wouldn't you want things to connect in a way that are smart? And aren't just like winking at the camera like, ah, remember that time? You know, like that's not what we're wanting to do. We're wanting to to craft a story that continues to expand the universe. And I think that's one of the things TV and Star Wars has already shown us. Like the Clone Wars and Rebels have already shown us the ways to like really expand what Star Wars is. And I feel like The Mandalorian is right there with these first two episodes. Like they're, they're already starting to do that, you know? And so... To me, that's what's exciting. Yes, there are connections, but those connections are opening new possibilities. It's not just about like, wink, 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 look at that thing. Ha, 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 aren't we cute? Like, you know, that Star Wars is not like, feel cute, you know, may eat a frog later. Right. <laughs> Wait. Yes, it is. Well. It is in this episode. Well, episode. <laughs> hey, Jabba did it. Yeah, Jabba did it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, no, and and not to get too far off track, but I mean that was something too that Michael and I thought that Solo did incredibly well was having this connective tissue to the other films and then even to books and animation that you wouldn't necessarily get right away, but that it was specifically for the fans and it wasn't overly done it was just interesting it was good storytelling and that's what i feel like we're working with Mm -hmm. here no absolutely agree and you know i think the thing that we're doing here really well is that we're i think so john mills and i talked about this on aggressive negotiations and we kind of came up with this term fan balance it's like because the goal is to reward longtime fans but also continue to bring in new and i think that's what something like the mandalorian can do and i feel like you know the things that i've seen really be successful especially in star wars you know star uh the clone wars and rebels really did that because they brought whole new generations into the star wars fandom you know who might not have grown up with the films at all like that might be their first exposure to star wars with those two shows but then by watching those shows and encourages them to watch the other shows and then they, you know, fall in love with the, the other movies and everything. And so and then, too, they get to see how it all connects together. And, and so. And I think more than anything, the thing that I'm realizing is the thing that separates Star Wars from, like, say, a comic book universe is that 
comic book universes are meant for reinterpretation, where Star Wars is one continuing universe, and therefore there has to be a, a fluidity to things. There has to be a, a, a way for things to feel right in that universe, because you can't just put anything in it. And so, whereas with comic book universes, you can reinterpret so many of these different characters. Like Green Lantern. Yes, in so many different ways. Um <laughs> That was a jab, sorry. You know, but, but I mean, honestly, you think about how many times, like, Superman's been reinvented, how many times Spider-Man, you know, has kind of had a reinvention. Um, you know, you can continually do that because that medium is open to that, whereas, I, you know, Star Wars here, it is one continuous universe that has to fit together. You know, we're not doing the Star Star Trek thing where there's multiple, you know, timelines and all that kind of stuff. Like, no, this is this is like one continuous mythology. Yeah, and I, I was saying, too, that uh, even in the comics, it doesn't always work out. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> it's, in fact, uh, there's there's been, you know, depending on who you talk to, they'll tell you that that's a, a big part of why comic book sales aren't doing so well right now because they... You know, I, I know, um, I believe it's Joe Casada at Marvel who's like, oh, I'm not really that interested in continuity. And then everyone's like, well, <laughs> if you look at your numbers, we're not really interested in you, apparently. So yeah. I know that's a little <laughs> little bit of a, a, a jab there. But but saying, though, like, yeah, this stuff matters in everything. Sometimes you can get away with it, um, but sometimes it'll, it'll come back and bite you. So probably good idea to talk about our characters in the show and probably no better place to start than the character with no name other than Mandalorian. How is this main character working for you guys so far? Uh, really well. I would say first, I thought you were going to say better place to start than the Blurg, but okay, we'll start with the Mandalorian. Well, I mean, do love the Blurg, I, you know, especially, <laughs> I mean, we've seen him in Clone Wars and Rebels, you know, so it's nice to see him back getting some more screen time. Uh, well, and, and so we'll, we'll, we'll connect these two uh, pieces of tissue here. The seeing him when it bites his arm and his reaction is just punch it in the eye. <laughs> I was like, man, that guy is rough. And what I what I really like about this character, he, he reminds me a lot of um, of like uh, Seth Bullock from uh, Deadwood or what was his other character that was basically just a more updated version of the same character that was uh, justified. But the point being, it's where this thing where he can be brutal and uh, seem ruthless, but he very much has a code, like a moral code that he sticks to. And it does not, you know, it doesn't matter about anything else. If it does not fall within this code, he will have none of it, you know, like it's, he's not going to go, well, maybe this guy is a good guy. You know, I don't know. No, your name's, you know, your image is on the puck. You're, you're going in the carbon freeze. And if you try to kill a baby, he's going to kill you first. Yeah. Just like Han, he shoots first. Hey, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'll see myself out. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I like him as well because I feel like he is tough, but he also has a heart, not just that he has a moral code, but that it seems like, you know, he genuinely made friends with uh, crawl the Ugnaught and offered for him to come and be part of his crew, even though right now his crew is just him. Um, 
and kept offering to pay him and saying, you deserve this. You know, there is some kindness there, but it's only reserved for people the Mandalorian feels deserve it. And so it's really interesting to watch him interact with all of the different people he encounters because you can see exactly what you're saying, Michael, that like if he's decided that you're a bad person, he's already made up his mind. There's no going back. Those Jawas never had a chance because they tore his ship apart. I mean, I would be mad if somebody tore my ship apart. I mean, I can imagine like coming out of the mall and my car has been stripped, being really pissed and wanting to disintegrate somebody. Um, so luckily I follow the rule, no disintegrations. Um, but, but you know, it's not destroyed. They just borrowed your stuff. <laughs> just, yeah. They're going to just trade for something else. Um, <laughs> Yeah, though, I think the thing that really surprised me so much is, you know, so many people kind of worried about having a character who never takes their helmet off. But I think the the vocal performance that Pedro gives is so smart because he's able to do a lot with that 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 gives you what's going on underneath the helmet. You know, just the way that he says things give away. And I would say, too, it's it's that on top of 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 the way he moves the helmet, the way the way he the the Mandalorian kind of will survey the scene, the way the the fact that he doesn't talk very much at all, you know. Um, and then when he does speak, it means you want to listen and pay attention to what he is saying because it's going to be important. Um, and so I really liked that. And I, I'm with you. I thought, Christy, I thought that him kind of developing as a character, even in the first two episodes where, you know, once he finds the child, he saves the child. There's this like parental side that comes out of him. I mean, he keeps putting the child back to bed, you know, like uh, when he keeps getting out of bed, which is really funny. Um, he doesn't realize he's trying to be, you know, helpful, but he keeps he literally just keeps putting him back in bed and then he closes the door, you know. Um, and then there's the moment where he's like, spit that out, um, which is probably the best line in the, the first two episodes uh, because it's such a dad thing. Like, what do you what is that in your mouth? Spit that out. You know, what are you uh, doing now? Jeez, kid. Exactly. Why is that in your mouth? You don't know where that's been. Um, <laughs> and so I that part was great. And then that moment at the end um, of the second episode where he asks Crawl to be a part of his crew, like you almost see this guy kind of he's been a loner for a really long time. You know, we've gotten a behind the scenes a little bit of what his story's been like which he's lost his parents and you get the feeling like he's been alone for a, a quite a long time and it's like for him to ask somebody to join him on his crew there's something about this guy that's possibly like changing just a little bit like that there's a softening to his heart as in the fact that he doesn't just want to be the man with no name that nobody knows anymore and I think that's the, the 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 arc I'm really interested to see grow with this character. And it lets me know that there are a lot of layers to this guy. I mean, he's like Shrek, you know, like plenty of onion layers here. Just want to keep peeling back. So I think of it more like a parfait. He doesn't <laughs> love no parfait. Parfait must be must must be one of the best damn things on the whole planet. So <laughs> But yeah, that, that brings up a good point, actually, that I didn't think of before, 
that it it wouldn't be interesting if it was just the story of a bounty hunter. You know, if all he's doing is going and capturing people or killing people and there's no reason behind it or no end goal that he's trying to get to, then it doesn't have anywhere to go. And so I like that Filoni and Favreau recognized that and that they're clearly building on Mandalorian to go somewhere from here. So, you know, that possibly after this second episode, he has to decide what he's going to do now because he's promised to bring this bounty back. But now he's morally confused, I think, about whether or not to just go the other way and not take the bounty. So I I think that there's a lot of interesting things that are coming based purely off that. That was one thing I thought about, too, like when we're talking about his moral code. In my opinion, I think that he actually broke it when he uh, shot IG-11. Because, oh, interesting. Yeah, because I think that that was like the first time that you see him where he actually makes a choice um, rather than sticking strictly to this code. Because, you know, like I said before him, it didn't matter how many credits you have or whatever. Nope, he's bringing them in. Uh, it doesn't matter that the he gets paid half as much he's not taking Imperial credits, you know, mm-hmm. but at this point he, he actually chose not to, cause that was the thing is, is that he, he agreed to work together uh, on the bounty. Like he's a part of, of this guild and he basically betrayed a fellow bounty hunter, uh, a, a fellow guild member. I, I feel like that was, was definitely a, a big step for him as far as, choosing something based on his own feelings about it rather than you know the way that this specific code should be and i think i think that's going to be a bit of a um a hint toward how probably the next episode or two uh shakes out right like maybe things aren't so easily discernible as right wrong whatever anymore that he's learning that there's shades in between where sometimes you have to make a different choice well, because I, because I see what both of you are saying, in, in the sense that, and and you could make the argument that he's shooting IG Eleven because he wants to return him for the the full reward, which is a ton of Beskar, you know. Um, so that could be the motivation. But what you get is the feeling that there's something about this child the moment he sees it that there's a connection. And then you see that throughout the second episode, too, where there really truly has begun to be this connection where it's just this is more than just a bounty. And I think you're right, Christy. The question becomes for him now, like, am I really going to turn this child in, especially when I have no idea and crap what they're going to do with this kid? Right. Like, I, I feel like he just saved him from one possible death and then he's going to be taking him into another possible death or uh, mass copying, depending on whose theory you're listening to or that so (laughs) i wanted because we talked a lot about kroll i wanted to talk a little bit more about him because i honestly don't know if you're gonna have an ugnaught speak basic if you can pick a better voice than nick nolte because he was so good as this character and i totally bought the reality of this character like everything about him was great and I really did want him to say yes to the Mandalorian in the end because I want more of the character. I don't want him going anywhere. He's so good. 
Well, and I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I also immediately got thoughts uh, from Rebels when Hondo has his Ugnaught friend. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, let's have them go on adventures together. I mean, they might. He may. I mean, look, if, if like we're predicting that he's not going to just turn the, uh, the asset in and then take off. And if that's the case, then he may need some help, you know, and the who at this point, it seems like he basically he has other Mandalorians, which I'm kind of thinking that he sees that as it's something that he, you know, they said that, oh, this uh, was it this donation is very generous or whatever. So it's he sees that as something that he donates toward, not something I, I don't think it's something he sees as would, uh, you know, pay back to him to help him. So I think okay. the only person that he actually would have to go to for help at this point would be, uh, Creel, however you pronounce, uh, crawl, I think it was crawl, crawl, Creel, 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 yeah, I even kind of got like the master and Padawan vibe from them, like Krull being the master and the Mandalorian being the Padawan, because it's sort of the entire time like a, a parent speaking to a child and saying, I've decided I'll help you. And not to mention that I have spoken is now a very popular phrase everywhere. Um, but It's who will. There's no R. Okay, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> K-U-I-I-L-L. According to um, IMDb, though. So actually, I, I just thought I might, I might should have probably looked that up on Star Wars Report before I got all uppity. But... And then you close it before I get to see it. Well, I mean, I can show it to you. Seems Sorry, fishy. I'm sidetracking. I'll show it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, that, that's the vibe that I got from the two of those characters together because of the way that... Uh, the Ugnaught is constantly teaching the Mandalorian about life and about new things. And I, I love that moment too, when the Mandalorian goes to him for help with putting his ship back together and uh, Kuehl says, <laughs> <laughs> says it'll go a lot faster if you help. And then I even went, Oh, I, I didn't even think that the Mandalorian wasn't going to help. Wow. Who does he think he is? <laughs> Well, and I took that differently. I, I the way I took that was he didn't think that uh, Kuil would help. He was just looking at it. He's basically just being like, "Oh, yeah, it's going to take forever for one person. That one person being me." And then okay. Kuil's like, "Oh, you know, obviously I'm going to help you. So are you going to help too?" Kind of thing. I, I took it as that of basically saying like, "No, I'm I'm here to help." So. And that could have been me overthinking things again. So, okay. Well, I think the thing that I responded to the most about Quill is the fact that at the end, he says to the Mandalorian that, you know, I don't want any reward. You've been my guest and I am in your service. And there's just something so touching about that. This idea of like, you know, the Mandalorian lives in a world in which everybody is trying to take advantage of everybody else. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, blurgy, blurg world out there. And, uh, it's, 
it's something that I think he's so used to. Like he's not ha- he's not used to somebody being self-sacrificial. Like Quell didn't really get much out of helping the Mandalorian, honestly, other than you know bringing peace to his valley. But he didn't have to help him put his ship back together. You know, like he didn't have to bring him to uh, the Jawas. You know, so I think what we see there is a picture of somebody who is kind of representing the best way to bring the galaxy out of chaos, which is everybody to stop thinking just about themselves. And I think that's kind of, uh, I mean, again, I think it was something that was so shocking to the Mandalorian, and that's one of the reasons I think he responds so well to this character. Like, this is a guy I can not only trust, but this is a guy who cares about me as a person which i don't think the mandalorian has felt a lot of that in his life so it it, it makes sense that there would be a bond already well one thing too this just uh struck me as you know we're talking about like the moral code earlier that uh quill's also a, a character who sort of seems to have like that very set moral code so there may be some um familiarity there because you know when he says oh half he's like he's like half the bounty that's ridiculous and he's like no half of that blur earlier so you know his thing was like oh you helped me um you know secure those blurgs so you're entitled you should be entitled to at least half of them you know i i think both of them very much think in terms of what is actually fair what is what is just yeah no, that's a good point um Somebody I would say on the complete opposite end of that spectrum probably is Grief Karga and, you know, Carl Weathers' character, which, you know, we don't see a lot of him in the first two episodes, but, man, does he just bring, like, a fun presence to his character that I can't wait to see more of because he just kind of feels like the slick used car salesman trying to get away with whatever he can get away with, like... Oh, I can't pay that, so I'll only pay you half. Oh, I only have these bounties, you know, the boring ones that'll barely pay for your fuel kind of thing. Oh, 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 I almost forgot about that one, you know? Like, he just seems like he's he's trying to squeeze as much as he can out of people. Um, and I'm really interested just to just know more about him in this, like, Bounty Hunter Guild and everything. I, and they picked somebody who immediately has some gravitas, so I accept him for who he is, and and I just want to see more. Well, and you might be onto something there too, because you've got to think that we've seen now that at least three different individuals have had uh, what seemed to be, in fact, actually, I will say two individuals, because it seems that the Mandalorians, you know, this bounty for him is off the books. It wasn't for IG-11, and it wasn't for the Trandoshans. So, well, you know, they don't wondering... Have a puck, puck, though. They only have a fob like him, so, I mean... Okay, true, yeah. So, uh, but, but point being is, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, because we also know that, that the IG-11 had a different directive than what the... Yeah. The Mandalorian was given, so it seems like maybe these are different people. Um, what if uh, Grief is essentially uh, almost sort of playing it? Uh, you know, he's playing multiple people off of this. Oh, oh good grief! Yeah, <laughs> I had thought maybe it was uh, Werner Herzog's character that was playing them, but that's a good. 
point though that it could be grief karga as well yeah because i don't i don't think herzog's character has any real i don't think there's anything for him to gain but if i mean uh, grief's character maybe so and also thinking about like star wars naming convention there may be something to that as well because they often the the names mean something you think he's going to cause people some grief possibly I I mean, bounty hunting is a complicated profession, so, you know. Um, I think that no name, because we don't have a name for Werner Herzog's character, is maybe the coolest Star Wars character that I have seen in a, quite a long time. Like, I just absolutely adore this character already, and I think it's just because John Favreau was 100% correct. You need this guy. He pulls you in. And he just makes you want to have more of him on screen because he's so kinetic. He has so much energy. The way he says things makes you listen. Um, and the mystery surrounding him and what Dr. Pershing are doing are is fantastic. Like I just want to know what is going on with this guy. And I'm just hoping that he's a character that stays around, you know, not only throughout this season, but, you know, throughout season two, because I would hate to lose him. He's just, he's just magnetic. Yeah. That's why I'm hoping that he ends up being a a bigger character and you find out he's pulling some strings of things happening for the Mandalorian because he is so, fascinating because when he speaks it's very deliberate and slow and um i felt like the entire time that you need to be concerned that he's going to flip on you and that he's got these stormtroopers around him as well as this other guy who someone i saw had pointed out on twitter and i didn't notice before dr pershing has a like kim and owen clone symbol on his uniform and so either he could be a clone or he could be there to clone something. So that took it in a whole nother direction. Or retrieve something that has already been cloned. Maybe. So, uh, yeah, the can of worms opened. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's uh, the, the cool thing, I think, about um, the client is that line that uh, and our friend Sadiq's the one who caught this so I can't really take credit for it but where he talks about uh, oh you know the the best car it should go back to where it belongs with the Mandalorians and then he says the line where he says um, you know shouldn't things go back to I can't remember exactly what it was but basically saying shouldn't things go back to the way they belong after such a period of disarray. And basically what I he's saying is what it was is yeah. Remember like, yeah. It's Empire good was, to restore the natural order of things after a period of such disarray. Yeah. And that's, that's such a, like, pro <laughs> such a pro imperial mindset. And he says it almost like he's appealing to him. Like, Oh, you know, cause you're a Mandalorian. Don't you like that? But it's like, no, that's not what you're talking about. You know? And he even does that stop. Like I will slap you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that you point that out, and especially when he says at the end, don't you agree? Right. Because he's trying to get the Mandalorian to reveal his allegiances, if there are any, in a, a secretive kind of way, but the Mandalorian doesn't fall for that crap. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think he's around the block. So yeah. all of this talk leads us to, I think, the mysteries that are surrounding this. And so we just mentioned the fact that we have 
these uh, what I like to call mystery eggs because we keep having eggs that we have to retrieve. There was an mm-hmm. egg with a child in it, and then there was just a furry egg that, well, turned out to be, uh, I can't take credit for this, but I heard somebody say in a podcast, uh, Cadbury cream egg, um, just really nasty looking one. And so um, what what do you guys think is the most, with the mystery that we have with the child, what do you think is the most plausible right now? What do you, where Where is your head at? You want to go first? No, you you you, you well, go talk first. first. You talk first. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so I'll say, you know, I, I think this is the most interesting because I think so many people. In fact, it, there may have even been some sort of official statement that was made of saying like, "Oh, it's going to tie into the rise of Skywalker somehow." And so I think a lot of people are trying to figure out, okay, how is this tying into the rise of Skywalker? And I feel like, for the most part just about anything you do is going to be, it's only going to make it harder for, for the rise of Skywalker to actually deliver. You know, I think they've got so much, so much on their plate as is that throwing a baby Yoda on on there makes it very difficult. Um, Unless maybe what they're saying is, Oh, turns out Palpatine was secretly cloning Jedi. And this is just to show you, oh, hey, here's Yoda. Everybody knows Yoda. He's the most famous Jedi. And Palpatine cloned him. Who else did he clone? Maybe Rey? Yeah, I'm really interested in that storyline now. (laughs) (laughs) I I wouldn't be mad if that's what ended up happening. And it it is very curious that uh, the last episode of this season of The Mandalorian comes out the day before the release of Rise of Skywalker. I'm just saying. So that, Is it? I thought the last one was on the 27th of December. No, it's, a, it's the second to last one comes out the Wednesday okay. before. And then that, okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, but the thing I'm kind of hoping for that it could be instead is that um, this child, due to their age, could possibly be related to Yoda or Yoda's child or... Uh, With Yaddle. So are you saying they did the horizontal Jedi? Maybe. That's, um, maybe that's why Yaddle was never seen again. She left the, <laughs> she the left and child. Yep. <laughs> uh, it, or at least just another of Yoda's species. So we could possibly finally find out what planet he was from and what the name of their species is or anything, which is why all of us are calling this baby Yoda. Because we know it's not Yoda. Yoda died. But we don't know what they're called otherwise, so people called it baby. It's easier Yoda. than <laughs> just calling it the child. It's cuter, right? right? Yeah, well, yeah, to the to the people, because I've heard some people go, it's not Yoda, stop calling it baby Yoda. Yes, we know this. We also know that Yoda's species does not have a name currently. We could so call it Yodel. <laughs> Yodel. True. Oh, uh, uh, let's not. Or Yada. <laughs> But yeah, it's people. It's not that people actually think this is baby Yoda. Like, thank you. That, that this is you know nine hundred years before or whatever minus fifty. Um, no, like it's just that's the easiest descriptor for it. So, I don't See, know. but it does raise all these other questions because apparently this child, um, being that they're saying in the show that it's fifty years old, would. Anakin would have been the exact same age if he were still alive. 
And so they were born the same year. And then apparently Ahsoka is only a few years younger than that. And she could still be around in this world. Well, it so, means this kid could have been at the temple too. Right. It raises I mean, all these other questions about past events and where this child was and at that point. Um, so I, I'm really, really interested in the way this is going and not just because the baby is so freaking cute. I'm so just my wild theory is, is this is actually a clone of Yaddle. And that's <laughs> that's why she disappeared. Like, um, because obviously need her anymore. Yeah. From episode one to episode two, she's gone. We have no idea what happened to her. We have no stories about her. I want to say that apparently she's recently showed up in a comic. I want to say I heard someone say that. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't, I I don't know of any comic that she showed up in. So, yeah, I I mean, I'm not sure I'm not up to date on them, but I, I did hear someone recently say that they're like, Oh no, she showed up in like one of the comics or whatever. I was like, okay, um, that's weird. Well, so, well, here's my theory, and this may be the best one. I think it's better than, than anything else that people are thinking, like Yoda Yaddle or whatever. What if they do clone this thing, and they clone it enough to where essentially every member of the Knights of Ren is just three baby Yoda stacked on top of each other? I don't know about that. <laughs> it's just three Yodas in a trench coat. And helmet and swords, laser swords. <laughs> See, the other thing, though, that I'm really interested in, because I think we've also set up the mystery of the Mandalorians, Can I men- and I mentioned this earlier, but I think that there there's a lot to mine here. Like, there's a lot to talk about, because there has been such a massive shift between where they were in the Clone Wars to where they were in Rebels and where they are now. Because, I mean, even in Rebels, we get this feeling like, that possibly the you know the empire has come in and, and confiscated their Beskar armor and Beskar itself from them because the ones that are working for the empire and the rebels um, their armor is not Beskar it's um, it's it's the same like plastisoid whatever they call it that the stormtrooper armor is made out of and so. I feel like they've really set up that mystery. And then, of course, the Mandalorian himself is kind of a mystery man. We don't know exactly why his parents were killed. You know, we we know they were, obviously. Um, The armorer, we don't know who she is. You know, I feel like she's obviously going to be pretty important to the Mandalorians. She could be a character in the end that we know, possibly. Who knows? So, um, you know, but she definitely seems like somebody who's really important um, and revered by them since she's the one who's creating Beskar armor. So I think this show has done such a great job of setting up mysteries that I, I think, as we talked about earlier, it's really expanding the universe and it's filling in things that we don't know. But so much of it is it's just new stuff. And like to me, that's really exciting and that's what I want from a show like this. Oh, yeah, for absolutely. Sure. And I mean, granted, I, I do wish they would actually state the planets. The only one that we have is the one that he actually finds the the child on, which is Avala Seven. Um, I, it would be cool if we could actually get uh, you know more planet names and and possibly uh, some character names instead of having to just refer to him as like the client. Um, but maybe that's maybe there's reason for it and they'll reveal it along the way. Like 
possibly. That could be cool. Yeah, my theory is because we have experience with Dave Filoni with not revealing things until he wants to. I mean, the man is known for keeping a secret. I think that there's a reason and that maybe that's what's going to start to tie it to the rest of the Star Wars universe more and more is things like finally having the Mandalorian take off his helmet or finally revealing planet names. And maybe it is a planet that we've been to before. Um, So I, I think that those things are intentional and that it's Dave and John holding something close to their chest personally. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I definitely think that they've got something up their sleeve. So one of the things I, I about the show that I think has really set it apart so far is just kind of the look and feel of the show and, and, and the planet so far, um, the way the show is kind of structured, um, the way we've had these really cool monsters like the Ravenac and the Mudhorn, um, the cinematography, the visual language, all of this, I think, has done a great job of, I mean, even from the very first scene, you know, where we open up and it it's the fob, you know, beeping, and everything else just, it feels like Star Wars from the way it's shot um, to the way they're using the wipes to um, the way that they're utilizing the music and the sound effects to um, just the the whimsical nature of it, like calling speeder by flute which apparently you know it's it's star wars uber you know it's the only way to get one you got to have the flute um <laughs> well and, and i guess is there different tones for different uh speeders yeah. <laughs> right you can choose the basic model or the upgraded model <laughs> right do would you prefer human or droid <laughs> yeah I, I feel like though it the best thing about this show is that it's more visual than vocal I feel like it's so much more focused on the scenic nature of it and on every shot having a meaning and that that's even possibly why the episodes are not as long as we expected they would be because every shot matters rather than having too much filler. Um, But I feel like with this show, more than anything else I've seen in Star Wars, that it's all about the visual aspect of it even down to the credits when you see the artwork that comes up when you're watching the credits. And if you haven't watched them, go watch them because it looks very mythical and legendary to me. It reminds me of like, if you're looking through a medieval storybook or something. Yeah. Kind of like the, was it Lord of the Rings where you, where it starts with that kind of a similar type of the artwork. I don't remember. Maybe, but um, yeah, it's, I, I mean, this is definitely I think this is exactly what Star Wars needed right now. Uh, it's, you know, when you have completely without any regard whatsoever to uh, anyone's feelings, you know, like our personal or individual feelings about uh, the state of Star Wars at the moment, it's very clear that Lucasfilm is in a bit of um, a confusion as to, as to where to go, how, you know, how to move forward. Um, that's, I, I just, I feel like, like you have to just be on go like, Oh, you know, I've liked the star Wars movies, but I guess they're, you know, they're having some issues with that because they, you know, now essentially star Wars, as far as films go, they've declared a hiatus after, um, after episode nine. And we don't know when they're going to pick up. Hopefully they'll still pick it up in 2022 or whatever. But I mean, they're, they're constantly having to reassess and figure out what it is. 
I think that they need to just look to right here. <laughs> they need to look to the Mandalorian and go, wow, look at how beloved it is. I, I mean, like I've, yeah. I've seen some people with, you know, negative opinions and stuff, but they are so drowned out by everyone who loves it. Uh, I, I went into a, a hobby shop the other day and a guy was like going on and on about like uh, to, to the, the sales rep and like, oh, can you do this or whatever? Because the Mandalorian and basically what I gathered was he's now wanting like the Mandalorian's armor and he's like wanting to paint up and make uh, armor to look like the Mandalorian. And I was like, wow, that's that's awesome. You know, it's a guy I've never seen him before. And this guy's so excited about it, you know, and, and just hearing if I go to this place or that place, I go to work and there's people that want to talk about it or whatever. I mean, it's people are excited about it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because, you know, um, I work with the college kids and the high school kids at our church and honestly, anybody who's talked about it, they love it. They, they think it's great. They're having a great time with it. You know, I, at the college group specifically, um, what one of the guys like have you seen the mandalorian i was like duh so like and then some of the other guys join in you know like and everybody's pumped about it and you know any of the kids i talked about to uh when the high school group loved it as well and so you're and and what i'm seeing for the most part i'd say on social media and stuff it's like it's been such a positive response and it just feels like like you're saying michael exactly what star wars needed and you know like I was having this conversation with some other friends like they were asking like why would you have so many directors directing when this only amounts to like four or five hours worth of television and you're having so many problems getting directors in and keeping them this is the perfect proving ground to see if you want those directors to do something else in Star Wars. So we've got these directors and we've already had one be successful enough because Deborah Chow is going to be doing uh, all of the Kenobi series by herself. She's going to direct all the episodes. So um, I think this is the perfect proving ground for them to see how people fit within Star Wars. And, you know, I, I got to say, if you're looking for the future of Star Wars, it's my two favorite F's with Filoni and Favreau. You just need to put them in charge of everything and I think we'd be in a really good place, especially when it comes to like story issues. There's nobody better than Dave. And John is so good at coming up with really cool ideas as well. And so you put those two together, I think they've created a great team in much the same way that George and Dave worked so well together. And we got the Clone Wars out of that. So that partnership, those partnerships that you can create by getting people in to direct see how they work then that partnership can move on to oh you know what we want this person to direct our next star wars film you know uh and so and i think just the way the show itself has created this serial nature of its chapters i think the show has done a really good job in that it knows exactly what it needs to do in each chapter and it's and nothing is superfluous nothing is done um on a whim they know exactly what they're doing and so that one the show's already expensive and it's a bit of a gamble right now so they want to make sure that every episode hits right and and does exactly what it needs to do so i don't mind it being a little bit shorter but in the end it seems like they're playing with the arc structure that worked in the clone wars and in um rebels which to me is really exciting um and then i mean it's a it's 
Star Wars Western. Like, it's as, it's as Western as it gets. You know, you really do have the John Wayne character walking into a bar ready for a fight. You know, you've got the Clint Eastwood character who shoots first, disintegrates, and asks questions later. You know, all of those type of things that, that really, I think, Star Wars is so good at pulling from different genres and using them to tell its stories. And so the look and feel of this, to me has been perfect so far. And I got to say, too, I love the monsters. The Ravenac and the Mudhorn are phenomenal. And for a TV show, I've never seen effects look that real, like you could reach out and touch it. That's because that's they are real. That's the secret. They use real aliens. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> okay. So another thing, too, I was going to talk about, you know, you're talking about the team of... Uh, Filoni and Favreau you know one thing that I would say is even thinking about seeing them in the different uh, panels and stuff like like when we saw them back at uh, Celebration they were both so excited yep you know I mean think about like back to when we got uh, Dave and uh, uh, Pablo on stage together like they they don't you know they, they don't come across like they hate each other or anything but they, they, to me, they come across like coworkers, you know, like, oh, hey, you know, this is, this is this thing that we did and we're excited about it or whatever, you know. Right. But Dave and, um, and John, it's just like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this thing. Yeah, we got to, you know, we're excited. And like, they genuinely seem like these two friends that put this really cool thing together that they're just excited to show off. And I, I think that's also something very important for uh, anytime you're making art. Yeah, that's a huge point because, I mean, they do act like they're stepbrothers. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? <laughs> yup. <laughs> it, the two of them on stage together was like, and then we did this thing and then we did that thing and it was really cool. <laughs> well, and it's because I think like we said earlier, they have a passion for this and they are kind of like kids in a candy store and mm-hmm. they're just so excited to be having a good time telling these stories. And I think that comes across and just when it comes to like the look and the feel of the show, I think it comes across perfectly how much they love different types of cinema and how much they love pulling all this off. So one of the things we kind of mentioned earlier, there are lots of fun Easter eggs in the show. And just kind of quickly, I just kind of wanted to know what your favorite was from these first two episodes. Wow. I have to just pick one? I mean, one or two. Oh, um... go first. I mean, seeing Trandoshans was awesome. Yeah. You know, I mean, have we have we even seen tra- like live action Trandoshans since uh, uh, The Empire Strikes Back? I mean, no, I, I know that so. Boss was sort of like in, but I, I think I don't think it was even in actual cuts that uh, he was supposed to be on the cell barge. But I don't think any of that actually made it into the scene. But even if it did, 1983, that was the last time I think we've seen a Trandoshan on screen. And I've always loved Bosk's look. I thought it was so cool. And yeah. I thought you were going to say the IG unit because you love IG-88. I also love that. (laughs) Again, I have to just pick one. Um, You know, I thought thought it was cool seeing the inside of a sand crawler. Like we've been in the the cargo bay, but actually being in the cockpit of a sand crawler and it's almost like ice road truckers or something, you know, and you're seeing like through the, uh, the windshield there and, and, you know, they're like pulling on down on the CB radio to talk to <laughs> right. us. Yeah. I mean, so many things, so many things. 
uh, seeing disintegrations on screen. Yeah. So you know what it means. Like, oh, that's what disintegrations are because they disintegrate. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it was the Mandalorian lore, like more um, mentions of things like the Mythosaur multiple times um, showing the actual Mythosaur above the door where the armorer was um, seeing all the different types of armor that the Mandalorians hanging out there were wearing because the armorer had a more brassy gold looking helmet. And then, you know, Mandalorian's sweet skirt. Like I was like, that's totally new for Mandalorians. And like a fur (laughs) shawl. Yeah. She looked awesome. Like she kind of looked like a cross between a Valkyrie and a Mandalorian, which was super awesome. Yeah. So it, that was my favorite thing was all the um, referring to things about Mandalorian culture. And then, too, when the Mandalorian himself says, I'm Mandalorian, weapons are part of my religion. Yeah, we were fist pumping yeah, when that, that happened. Was funny. <laughs> I don't think he's a pacifist Mandalorian. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, he's not no. From that uh, sateen crop. He's secretly in Death Watch. Um, so, I want to just jump in here because I, I meant to mention it earlier and I just forgot because I think this is going to be super. I think this is going to be big for the show when she says, has your signet been revealed yet? Oh, yeah. And I was trying to explain what I felt like that meant. I was actually talking to a fellow podcaster and friend, uh, Eric Pfeiffer. And I was like, you know, sort of like like a spirit animal, like how since we know that the Mandalorians are sort of tribal. And uh, so like some of the Native Americans, you know, they'd have like a bear or a deer or, or, you know, a wolf that would represent them or whatever. And they would like sort of imprint that on their body. And he goes, Oh, so you mean like a Patronus? And I'm like, yes, exactly. Like a Patronus. (laughs) So So if he's anything like me, he's going to have like a terrier on his, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Right. You're like, Oh, well yeah. Maybe he'll actually get like his symbol will be a baby Yoda. (laughs) A baby Yoda. That'd be funny. That'd actually be hilarious. I think your serious theory was that maybe his spirit animal is a mudhorn. No, no, no. I was no. I think it's actually going to be bigger than that because okay. like a mudhorn could have been, but I think it's got to be more. Like I think you know, like uh, when you go on the, like spirit journey type of thing, like where okay, it, that was a one time thing where it's it's got to be something bigger, right? I think it's it's going to be one of those situations where it's like it's very clear to him, and and you know he feels that ah, this is my religion speaking to me. This is my signet. It has mm. been revealed. He's gonna know. sound crazy and go. It has been revealed. I'll I'll put my money on Mudhorn. I like it, but who knows? Um, I think the two things that I love the most that were funny Easter eggs is that the Jawa crawler is literally Super Star Wars from Super NES. <laughs> true, very which true. is so awesome that that level gets to be played out. There is the Easter egg of the. Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade moment where he almost gets, uh, you know, taken off by the cliff that they slide over so that he has to, like, roll himself over so he doesn't get destroyed by the cliff um, that they almost run him into. Mm-hmm. And then I'm pretty sure in the first episode when he's killing uh, all of those Nikdos at the base where they find the child, the sound of them dying Sounds just like the characters dying in Super Star Wars. <laughs> it like it sounds just like that. So I think 
those are my favorite things. And I mean, you know, obviously the life day and the rifle and all of that stuff is just awesome. It, it just the fact that they're using all that stuff is great. And I mean, who doesn't want a portable carbon freezing machine? That's pretty Absolutely. awesome. Like, I want a carbon freezing machine that I can just like throw people into that annoy me. It'd be great. Yeah, when they're talking too much, you push them in there. Oh yeah, exactly. And, you, and Matt, you you know, because um, I've not been like public about this, but you actually know. I was initially that was the one thing I was not psyched on, but then seeing him do it and everything, and I'm like, oh no, this is just this is just technology. This is, you know, it's it's kind of like when the cell phone gets smaller, you know, or whatever. It's because my my thinking was because I've heard some people they're like, well, how does he have the small uh, carbon freezing chamber when like Han was in the giant? I'm like. Well, that's simple. That was the industrial grade. This yeah, is the exactly. small portable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. I think it's great. So um, I guess probably the last thing we should really talk about is the music. Because, you know, music is such a big part of Star Wars. And honestly, you know, is a part of creating the Clone Wars and creating the sound you were going to get there. It's, it was a part of Rebels. Um, and now, of course, you're having to create a new soundscape for uh, a new show, and you want it to feel Star Wars, but you also want it to expand the musical universe. And so, how do you guys think that Ludwig Göransson's music does for this show? I thought it was just gorgeous. I think that it has some definite references to John Williams' work especially in the second episode. Um, but I love that you feel like the Mandalorian has his own theme. Um, and I particularly noticed the music for the scene when he's fighting the Mudhorn is just a totally different sound. And it definitely raises that feeling of um, like hyper awareness, I guess I would say. It's just really interesting to make the choice to use that kind of music for that scene. Uh, but yeah, overall, I, I felt like it fit well in the Star Wars universe and that it really had some nice, meaningful moments for me. Yeah, for me, I that's that's one of the other um, small nitpicks I've, I've heard people have with The Mandalorian is the music. And for me, I, you know, I, I couldn't disagree with those people more. I think that, you know, as much as we love John Williams, I, I think that especially now in this new era, we've got to try to find ways uh, to to have something to where it's in the same vein that it still feels like Star Wars, but also isn't just copying John Williams all the time. Right. And I I thought this was great. I mean, and, and lots of times it's it may even feel or sound similar to something else, or whatever. But like a you know, it's almost like a Star Wars remix version. Like when he walks in in, in the the very first episode. To me, it's almost like that good and bad and the ugly. Like where it's like the Wah, 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 wah. you know like mm-hmm. ever that's probably a I, I don't know if that helped anybody understand the the song like Ooh. yeah yeah it's um that song so it, <laughs> <laughs> um but it it almost it sounds kind of like that but it's almost like okay well, hold on let's let's put it let's take it to the lab let's change it up all right now it's star wars kind of yeah. thing um you know like you talked about with some of the stuff that does sound like that uh the music when before the Trandoshans attack and he's walking through that valley, it uh, not only did it really have vibes of R2 strolling through before he got caught by the Jawas, um, the the music 
sounded very similar to that, you know, right before the Trandoshans jump him. Yeah, to me, the, the, you called it out, Michael, you know, it, it sounds like Marconi's music from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And, and one of the famous things he uses is those pan flutes. And so, right. and I, I remember I watched the premiere uh, on YouTube that they did for The Mandalorian, and they had the entire cast there, and Lugu was there, and he talked about finding the sound for the Mandalorian, which was when he found that space flute, basically is what he called it, that that was that sound that, that really gave the Mandalorian his theme and the beginning of it. And, and I think that's really smart because again, you, you really are creating this. It's, it's a Western movie, but at the same size, it's star Wars. And I think it really shows the full range of everything he's doing in the um if you're listening to the soundtracks i love 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 that every week we get a brand new star wars soundtrack right now from the mandalorian and i honestly have not i barely listened to anything else for like two weeks because it's (laughs) the music is so good but i really love uh the finales of each episode because it goes through the whole theme and it really expounds in and it becomes this kind of beautiful John Williams-esque type of sound but at the same time it has this like western feel to it um and I love that and it reminds me honestly of what uh Williams created for Han Solo in Solo so the the music the theme for Han he Williams wrote and then John Powell took that and he ran with it and I really think that Ludwig has created something special and like Christy you mentioned there's that I mean when he fights the Mudhorn and it's just this like uh, kind of barbaric sounding like just it's so tribal you know these it, uh, it feels like the strangest space drum you've ever heard well or like when uh Werner Herzog is speaking. I don't know if you notice, it's kind of like the gentle plucking of a mandolin mm-hmm. in the background. Yeah. I kept asking Michael, is that a mandolin? I think, I think that's a mandolin. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So <laughs> I love the music. And I really think they've created something special. And, and every week, it's not just the episode that I can't wait for. It's the soundtrack I can't wait to to get and add it to the other, you know, episodes and then just listen through it because it's been so much fun. So uh, for you guys with the first two episodes, what would you rate so far The Mandalorian? <laughs> you know, honestly, and I know that it's all it's always uh, everyone's like, oh, well, I'm not going to go 10 because there's more. No, forget that. I'm giving them 10. Like I'm, they they absolutely they met any expectation and then they carried over for anything I want. Uh, just because I rate, you know, these 10 out of 10 stars doesn't mean that the other ones can't be good either. I don't understand why people feel like, oh, if I like the other ones more, I can't like these as much. That's stupid. 10 stars. That's you love what they all deserve. your children equally. Well, except for the one. God, he's always getting into trouble. <laughs> Keeps getting out of his bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, over and over <laughs> again. And then I'm like, put that down, <laughs> spit it out. <laughs> I would be the same way as far as how I would score the first two episodes so far. I think it's more than exceeded my expectations, especially with going in a new direction as far as giving us more about Star Wars. 
than we knew before. That's something that I really loved about Rebels was that whole exploration they did into the nature of the Force and having Ezra go into this world between worlds. I think that this show is breaking that kind of ground in Star Wars with bringing in this child who we don't know anything about. And we could finally get some answers about Yoda, who we've known forever and never knew all these things about. So it just has been one thing after another taking me into this rabbit hole (laughs) where I just can't stop talking about it. So yeah, it's a 10 out of 10 for me as well. I think that's the thing that I'm loving about the show. I'm right there with you guys. I'd give it the same rating. I love that I haven't stopped talking about it for like two weeks. Like that's awesome. And I think they also have done that really smart thing where they're only releasing weekly. And so it really keeps that conversation going because, oh, then the next episode comes out and everybody's talking about it for a week. And then the next episode comes out instead of just dropping it all in one time and the conversation dies because... Not everybody's watching it at the same time. People just get mad about spoilers. And this is just, I think it's doing it perfectly. And in the show so far, I think I would say it's practically perfect in every way. It's like the Mary Poppins of Star Wars right now. So, um, and it's, I mean, it makes sense because again, it's coming from my two favorite Fs. So thank you, Favreau and Filoni. Now, before we tell everybody where we can find us i think christy it's time for some recommendations yes it is and i've got a treat for you this time uh, i'm going to tell you mine i i haven't recommended this kind of thing before so i was like you know what i'm just gonna be honest and throw it in there there's a lot of stand-up comedians i really like and that my husband and i love to watch together um but we found a new one and if you have not seen dion cole either his stand-up called Cole Hearted or seen him on the show Blackish, which I've recommended before. Um, you need to watch his new stand-up special on Netflix. He is a person who perfectly combines intense facial expressions also with really great jokes. So I highly suggest it. Um, it can get a little explicit toward the end. So maybe it's not a thing to watch with your kids, but uh, adults would like it. Okay, I'm going to go a totally different route. <laughs> because, of course, I, look, I, I'm so busy that it's like, oh, well, I'm going to watch Mandalorian. So since that's been like about the only thing, then, I, then I'll uh, have to mention the only other thing that I've actually watched on Disney Plus, Hostile Planet, <laughs> which is a National Geographic show. He loves animals, y'all. I do. Okay, look, I know it's like, it's a we- weird thing, I guess, or whatever. And, I, you know, a lot of people are like, why are you watching that? Why aren't you watching these great Disney movies? Listen, there was this little baby duckling thing, right? And falls off a cliff, just tumbles, like had to been like well over a hundred feet, like maybe 200 feet. It was a long drop. And that little sucker is just flapping his wings, flapping his wings. It is doing hardly anything at all. Hits the ground. Boom. Rolls like kind of smacks. And I thought, oh my gosh, that bird just dead. Pops right back up. I was like, oh my gosh, that like don't mess with that bird because <laughs> that one's a baby like that mama will kill you if, if they can survive falls of that magnitude so and he texted me this and i was going well that was a wild ride <laughs> yeah animals are just like crazy fascinating no i love that kind of stuff because uh you know i love like uh, a planet earth or those kind of things so that's really cool 
I'm going to recommend Jedi Fallen Order. I have been playing through the game, and I'm really liking it. Um, and I think it's um, it's just really fun. It's really fun to have a third-person player game where you're a Jedi. You're, and what I think I love about the game so far is that you don't start off as an overpowered Jedi. You have to earn all of that. And so it makes a lot of the level building that they've done where you want to go back to levels you've been to before so you can get to areas you couldn't get to before because you have new force powers and stuff. And to me, that's really exciting because it makes the game more playable and you don't have to have a thousand levels. You just make the world that you're in really big so that you can create all these different areas that you can only get to at certain times. That has been a lot of fun and the story is actually really interesting, and I'm fascinated to see where they're going to take it. Uh, yeah, so I don't, I'm not going to ruin anything that's in the game, other than to say I have really been enjoying it, and I, I, you know, don't normally pay full price for a game when it first comes out, but it's a Star Wars game, and and this one has not let me down. Um, and I think it's it's definitely for me much more up my alley than Battlefront Two. Um, which I like Battlefront 2, but I'm awful at multiplayer. And so, you know, the only thing I really liked about Battlefront 2 was the um, the story mode. And so I will say this. It is such a hard game on Jedi Knight that I'm having to play on story mode because I'm just not good enough, um, which is fine with me. Um, part of that is because I'm not there to, like, spend all day trying to beat one boss. I'm enjoying the story and progressing through that and so um and i'm kind of one of those people i'd rather like explore the entire world than i would like spend hours trying to figure out the best way to beat you know three characters or whatever so yeah it's super fun but uh christy um if uh people would like to catch up with you and see what else you are up to. Where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bespin Bell. And of course, then sometimes I'm in the Babel conference talking about stuff from here. Um, And then I do a couple of other podcasts. I do a show with my friend Teresa Delgado called Sabres and Spells, where we talk about anything geeky we're feeling like at the moment. Uh, Next, I think we're going to dive more into where we got to our Harry Potter fandom from. Uh, and then I also do a show called Planet Leia with five other women from around the world about Star Wars. And lastly, I do a five-minute segment once a month for the Star Wars Report where I do fashion in five and talk about men's and women's Star Wars fashion in five minutes. And Michael, great to have you back on the show. Let everybody know where they can catch up with you and what you've got going on. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I do two podcasts, both on the Star Wars Report Network, uh, Cloud City Casino. You can just find that uh, on Facebook and, and Twitter, just uh, Cloud City Casino or the Gmail email, which is cloudcitycasino at gmail.com. And then, of course, the the new uh, the MandoCast, uh, which can be found uh, over Twitter, just uh, at the MandoCast or the MandoCast on Gmail if you want to send an email. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, pretty, I'm more sizely on Twitter and oh, hold on. Christy's handing me something. Is that, is that a bounty puck? Is that me? What? No. 
<laughs> He's got a lot of credits, you know. He, he can call a cruiser; it'll be fine. Um, you could find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, and Vero under the Matt Rushing Zero Two Zero Two. Um, you can also find me here on the network doing the Orb with Chris Jones. When we get a chance, we talk about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. I'm doing two shows over on the Nerd Party Network. I uh, do Owl Post with Dre Kaufman talking about Harry Potter each and every week, one chapter at a time. Uh, talking about Star Wars each and every week with John Mills over on Aggressive Negotiations. We have so much fun, and obviously with all the Star Wars content coming out these days, we've got so much to talk about, so check it out. And then lastly, you can find me doing Cinema Stories with my good friend Courtney, where we talk about films through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for joining us. And I've spoken, you hear? Thank you.